Uh, I've been a pastor for about 10 years now, um, and I probably just went my longest stint ever in my pastoral ministry of not preaching a sermon. I know I preach many sermons all the time, trust me, um, but a formal sermon. So I'm excited to be here, to say the least, to open up God's word, to proclaim it. Uh, we have a very neat passage um, this evening, but I don't have a lot of time because you guys have to do small groups. I'm going to try to abide by someone else's rules because I don't get to be in charge anymore. Um, so let me read the passage for us. John 16, big 16, the small 25. I'll read the passage for us. We'll pray, and then we'll get through as much as we can. John 16, verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in the figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name... And I do not say that you will, that you, excuse me, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and you do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace in the world You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come before your word, give us hearts of humility, Lord. I ask that you would uh, grant us God's special help as we consider this last section in the feral discourse. Lord, I pray that it would be helpful, encouraging. And Lord, above all else, I pray that by your spirit, that you would glorify your son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard your parents talk about something and you began to ask them what they were talking about and they responded with something along the lines of, one day you'll understand what we're talking about. And maybe, not even a parent, maybe just someone who has experience in something that you have no experience about, but you're curious nonetheless. And sometimes it can even come across a little snooty. Well, hey, You don't really get this. Maybe one day you'll understand what I'm talking about. Like, how's it up there on your high horse, right? You know, make sure that you get through that door with your big head or, you know, all that. But but sometimes I'll have to tell my kids that. At one time, my wife and I were talking about insurance. I don't know, like renewing our auto insurance. And and one of these kids was just like, well, what is that? What's this for? What's the card for? Can I see the card? And we said, hey, I appreciate the questions, but one day when you drive a car, you'll understand. In one sense, this whole farewell discourse that Jesus has been giving, that that Chris has been taking you guys through, is is like that. And Jesus is now even hinting at, there's a sense right now, guys, in which you don't quite understand what I'm saying. Before the cross and the resurrection, at this point, the disciples still have a real hard time at understanding what Jesus is talking about. They were just entrenched in a Jewish religion that was all about 
The Messiah was going to be someone who's going to come and conquer, who's going to overthrow Rome. And so Jesus, his whole ministry has been dealing with his disciples, teaching them, trying to get them to understand what his true mission was. And through this whole farewell discourse, Jesus has been talking in this type of language. And matter of fact, even before this last conversation, Jesus oftentimes spoke in parables. He spoke in stories. And there's a lot to be said why Jesus did that. But for this particular passage that we're looking at, what's happening is Jesus is wrapping up. He's, he's concluding this last little talk to his disciples. If you remember, Judas has left. He's betrayed Jesus. So he's probably just talking to 11 of them. He said a lot of things about the Father. He has told them that I am the, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anything that you ask in my name and Jesus talked about how you should love one another as I have loved you. And now as he kind of starts to conclude, he's kind of letting them in as kind of like a, a foretaste of what their life is going to be like following Jesus. And if you notice in verse 33, how does, he, how does Jesus end this long farewell discourse? Look at verse 33 with me. He says in the middle, um, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, what Jesus is doing in this last little section, he's kind of letting his disciples know, listen, you are going to have struggle. You are going to be persecuted. You are going to have suffering. But I want to prepare you for it. Jesus loves his disciples. He doesn't want them to be ill-prepared or ill-equipped. And so in verses 25 through 33, I want to give us just a very simple outline. If you notice, I'm speaking really fast because I have a lot to say and not a lot of time, right? A, a real simple outline of Jesus trying to be helpful to his disciples. You know, it's, it's in vogue right now um, to pack, you know, a zombie apocalypse survival pack. You know, you can go online and Google um, survival packs, and they will give you this whole long list of things that you should pack in case the world ever falls apart and goes complete kaput. Uh, here's how you have your survival bag ready, okay? Imagine Jesus is trying to let his disciples know, hey, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of a world that is hostile towards, towards me and towards my followers, here's how you should kind of pack your bag, Okay? Here's how you pack your bag. And so what we're going to see here is Jesus is going to give us two really kind of reminders of things that we need to have in our bag if we're going to follow him well. But before we get there, let me just briefly go over verse 33. I think this is going to help set up the whole rest of the passage. Because if you, if you notice, first time I read this passage, I'm like, Jesus, you say a lot of things in here that I have no idea what you're saying. Okay? So to help us make sense of all of that, I think we should kind of reverse engineer this passage. So again, let's look back at verse 33, okay? Verse 33, Jesus is summarizing his whole farewell discourse, okay? All of chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, he's, he's summarizing. Look what he says in verse, I have said these things. What are these things? Again, all those chapters, all, all the, the recent sermons that Chris has been given to you, all of that, Jesus is finally saying, I have said all of these things to you. Here's why. That in me, you may have peace. You may have peace. 
Because here's the reason why I want you to have peace. Look what he says. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is letting his disciples know, hey, listen, the hour has come. You guys are all about to fail. You're all going to depart from me. You're all going to have little mini life crises. And even past that, past the resurrection, past my ascension, in this world, you will have persecution. Can I just tell you really quick, whether out of good intentions or, or, or rather maybe even sometimes even out of neglect or with willful intentions, a lot of times we preach the Christian gospel without a call to suffer. Many times we can talk all day long about how Jesus loves you, he wants a good, he has good things for your life, even the song that we just sang, all things must work for our good, beautiful promise. But we forget this very fact that Jesus promises us here in this world, guess what? You will have hardship. You will have tribulation. And what breaks my heart is that there are people who disguise themselves as pastors who tell you that God just wants you to have better health, more money, a better life, and good circumstances. But hear it from the founder of our faith himself. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have hardships. Following Jesus does not mean that your life is going to go the way that you hope always. Now, is there a general sense that if we follow God's commands and we obey him and we live godly lives, that things sometimes naturally go in a way that leads to a prosperous life? Amen, yes. But consider what Paul tells young Timothy in 1 Timothy 3. All of those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. We, we can't escape the hardships that come from following Christ and matter of fact, if I can say it this way, if we never suffer any form of awkwardness or discomfort or, or persecution because we're following Jesus, we're probably not doing it right. That's even why I picked that song, Jesus, I, my cross have taken, to remember, like, come disaster, scorn, and pain. What a thing to sing as a high schooler. Now, I'm, I'm gonna take up my cross and I'm gonna invite hardship. Jesus says, though I have overcome the world. Now, what does he mean by the world, right? There's a lot of different usages of this word. Matter of fact, in this same book, we get one of the most famous verses that talk about the world, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Now, in one sense, the world just generally means all of what God has created, all of the people in it. And that's true. God does generally, in a general sense, love the world. But the world, we also know, is this system of evil, because the same author, the Apostle John, would write in 1 John chapter 2, where he'll say, do not love the world or the things in it, right? So the same guy who wrote John 3.16 also says, do not love the world. Jesus is saying, this evil world and its sinful systems, guess what? I have overcome it. So what is Jesus doing here? He's preparing his disciples He's letting them know, it is going to be hard. Following me, it does not always mean that it's going to be roses and butterflies. But here's the thing. 
you can take heart because I have overcome the world. But along that theme, Jesus wants to give us two reminders of things that we need to pack in our bag of this life of living in Jesus's triumphal victory of overcoming the world. So if I had a main point, it would be something like this. That since Jesus overcame the world, we can have peace. Since Jesus overcame the world, we can have peace. And this peace comes by remembering two important things. And this is where I'm gonna kind of anchor our two points in this passage. First is this. We must remember our privilege. So how do we live this peaceful life, this triumphal life in Christ in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering? Well, first thing Jesus says is this. Remember your privilege. Remember your privilege. You're like, okay, what privilege is it? Well, glad you asked. Let's look back down at the passage. Look at verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. Now, again, Jesus is kind of saying this whole farewell discourse, yeah, I've been using metaphorical language. I have not been super direct. I use imagery. And, and, and part of that is because there is no context yet to his cross and resurrection. Um, very helpful. One commentator this week I was reading said, after the Gospels, well, the four Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the rest of the 23 books of the New Testament, there is never, ever again one parable or metaphor given to explain the faith. Everything after that is simple, straight, matter-of-fact, didactic argument explaining the gospel. So again, these guys are so entrenched in this Judaism that they have no context. I mean, really, in a lot of ways, we should be more sympathetic to the disciples, to the apostles here. They have no context of what, what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about leaving. And he's talking about dying. And he's talking about suffering. And they just, they cannot imagine that at all. And so when Jesus is talking about these things, they're like, what? Jesus, what in the world are you getting at here, man? They, they, they have just no context to understand what's about to happen. But Jesus here goes on to say, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. I think Jesus here is tipping them off. Hey, it's, it's coming soon when you will have the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, and he's even talked about this in the farewell discourse, when the Spirit comes, guess what? You will start understanding. And here's what you will understand. He goes on here. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. So he's, he's kind of saying a few things here, okay? He's saying, listen, one day, I won't have to speak to you in all these crazy languages. I can speak to you directly, right? And matter of fact, if we go to Luke 24, after his resurrection, he's on the road to Emmaus, and he's explaining how all the law and the prophets were referring to his crucifixion and his subsequent resurrection, but a day is coming when you'll have the Spirit. And here's the thing. I don't have to talk to the Father for you anymore. You can go straight to the Father. See, what's gonna happen right after this passage, you guys see in your Bible, if you look at the chapter 17, is there a title above chapter 17 in your Bible by chance? Do you have your Bible open? High priestly prayer. High priestly prayer, yeah. Jesus is gonna pray for his disciples, Okay. If you don't have your Bible open, shame, shame, shame. Open your Bible, okay? Um, 
He's going to pray for his disciples, but he's saying, guess what? There's an hour coming where I don't have to do that for you. You can go directly to the Father. Let me tell you how much of a paradigm shift that would have been for them to hear. These disciples, their whole life, have been taught about a God who is holy and who is other and who in many ways felt super distant and aloof and put off. And, and, and this God is like in the Holy of Holies. And, and it felt this cold, distant, and dry religion that Judaism became. But Jesus is now saying, hey, very soon, you can go to the Father directly. And in essence, what Jesus is saying, what I'm about to do for you is you get to come up to the Father and say, hey, Jesus invited me here. I'm here because of Jesus. Why? Why do we get this special privilege to come before the Father? Let's look at the linking word. Look at the passage. What does it say? Verse 27. So why do we have to come to the Father? For the Father himself loves you. I could preach my whole sermon on these couple words right here. For the Father himself loves you. You guys, this is the beauty of the gospel. That, that, that God in Christ truly loves us. Right? Sometimes we get this picture of God that he is full of wrath and fire and God's like cast us into hell and Jesus has to step in the middle and say, hey, yo, Father, God, chill a little bit, would you? They're pretty cool. God, like... Man, this is like, it's like, you know, your dad gets really mad and your mom has to step in the middle like, to like, calm dad down. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe, maybe not, right? What does it say here? The reason why the Father even sent Jesus is because he loves us. I hope you see the connection what Jesus is talking about here. In this world, you will have tribulation. But what is your great privilege that is going to help you to, to conquer, to overcome in this world of tribulation? To remember the privilege that your heavenly Father loves you. That he truly cares about you. That he is working for your good. That, that the Father has, has loved you so much that he sent his one and only Son for you. Jesus is saying something that is so transformational. This distant God that you think is unapproachable, you can go to him. You have access to him. And guess what? He truly does love you. All this is hard for them to understand. They don't quite get it yet. They'll need the help of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus goes on and he explains a little bit more. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. If you want just a succinct verse that summarizes the incarnation, here it is. That Jesus has came from the Father to be our substitute on the cross, to die for our sins. He is referring to, I am about to go back. He, he recognizes that his time is coming to an end. His mission is here. The hour of his death is upon him. And he knows that after that, he will go back to the Father. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, the Father loves you because you have believed in me. 
And this brings a very interesting question. Does God love everyone? I think the answer to that is yes. But here's the next question. Does God love everyone the same? And I think the answer to that is no. He does not. I get to see my nephews in church, make them the church here. I love my nephews so much. But when I think about the love that I have towards my own biological children, it's different. I love my nephews a lot. But I love my children more and in a different way. And the same thing is true of God with all of his children. Generally speaking, yes, God loves everyone. But is there a special, covenantal, deep and eternal love that God has with his children? Yes and amen. And that love comes through Jesus. Hey guys, high schoolers, listen. Following Jesus is hard at times. There is trials, killing your sin, being different than what all your other people are are after, all the worldly desires, all of the pride of of the eyes and and all the the money and and all the the sexual temptation there is. Listen, there is persecution in this world, but, but here's what you need to remember. Remember the great privilege you have that your heavenly Father in Christ truly, deeply loves you. This is what Jesus is saying. Hey, I want you to overcome and I want you to do this by remembering that your father loves you and that he sent me for you. You see, you see the, the heart of Jesus to want his disciples to do well? And so he goes on, and the second point is to remember the promise. His disciples say, ah, Jesus, love it, man. You're finally talking our language, Right? You're no longer using your figure of speech. Verse 30, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. This is that they hear Jesus saying, like, I've come from the Father. I'm going back to the Father. Like, Jesus, we understand now. We believe what you say. We believe that you're God. We believe that you're the sovereign one. We believe that you know all things. You know, people make fun of the disciples here a little bit because Jesus even, what does he say right next to that? Do you now believe? Right. But I I do think there's a sense in which the disciples are are, are starting to get it. They're like, Jesus, you have came from the Father. You are of the Father. Right? And what Jesus is trying to say here is saying, hey, listen, yeah, guess what? Uh, really quick, there's a question mark there. And in the, in the Greek language, it's very interesting. The indicative and the interrogative are in the same kind of language. And so we don't really know if it's Jesus is saying, you are now believing, or ha, you say you believe. But in essence, what Jesus is saying, you believe this now. But what does Jesus know that's about to happen? Look what he says. You believe this now, that's great. But guess what? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it, it has come. When you will be scattered each to his own home, and pretty much you're all going to bail on me. Aaron's translation, right? Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus is saying, guess what? You're going to fail. So not only in this world we have tribulation, like we're going to have times where we're going we're to fall short. We're not going to serve Jesus the best that we want. 
We're not, we're not always going to do, we're not always going to live to our ideals. Wouldn't, we, wouldn't it be a great world if everyone lived towards their ideals? What kind of world would it be if everyone just followed through on their New Year's Eve promises? Right? Jesus saying, hey, God, it's easy to believe when it's easy. Right? It's easy to be a parent when uh, the baby's still in the womb. It's, it's easy to say that I'm going to obey my parents until they actually give me something to, to do that I don't want to do. Right? It's, it's easy to follow Jesus when it's comfortable and safe, but what happens when you have real temptations? Right? It's easy when mom and dad are there and you have a good youth pastor or pastors in your life who are kind of discipling you, but what happens when you go to university? Are you in a job there's no Christians around at all? Oh, yes, Jesus, I believe. Well, yeah, you do, you do now. But what's going to happen when, when, when the world comes in? Right? And this is where Jesus says, remember the promise. How do we live in this life knowing that there's going to be tribulation? Well, first, we remember our privilege that God loves us. But second, we remember the promise. And what is the promise? Verse 33. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Have you ever like told a friend that you're having a bad day or maybe a sibling or a parent and they kind of were hearing you complain or vent, whatever word you want to use, and they kind of seem like, yeah, okay, I think you're fine though. Buck up, buttercup. All right? Or as my dad would say, all right, time to take the dress off and the tea party. Man up. Right? Does it seem like Jesus is kind of saying like, hey, guess what? In this world, you're going to have have trouble. You're going to have persecution. But take heart, come on, get over it. Is that Jesus' kind of tone here? Jesus saying like, hey, we all have trouble. Just kind of take heart, you'll be fine. Come on, you'll be fine. Go get your mom to buy you McFlurry and sleep it off and everything will be okay, right? Absolutely not. Because what Jesus is about to do is he's about to go to the cross. And he's about to become a sacrifice for sin. And he's about to be a victor on that cross. When you look at Jesus, you don't, you don't really see a victor. You see a, a man bleeding and scarred and crying out that he's thirsty. But actually, what, what, you, what you really are seeing beyond the externals is Christ conquering over all evil, all sin, all of death. He is conquering the world. And so, friends, hear it from me first. There is no greater thing than following Jesus. Jesus has offered us free grace, living water, eternal life, resurrection. He willingly chose to leave the Father's glory to become a man for all of eternity, to go to the cross for our sins. But also hear it from me first, that following Jesus will mean that you will have trouble. It does not mean that this temporal life is always going to be easy. But here is the promise that you can take heart, that you can have peace. It's almost like Jesus is trying to warn us here. Hey, letting you guys know, start thinking about this a little bit. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have said these things that you may have peace. We need to remember our privilege. 
The Father loves us. What a great privilege. We must also remember the promise that Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us, God, by the aid of your spirit, to to not just intellectually know that you love us, but God, I pray that that all of us here, my heart included, God, would, would deeply sense that right now, because of Jesus, not only do you love us, God, but you like us. God, you rejoice over us. When we wake up in the morning, God, you, you pour out your love and your mercy and your grace upon us. And so, Father, I do pray that if we have guilt or shame or remorse about sin, Lord, and we may have any inclination that you may be mad at us or upset with us, God, may the truth of your word in this passage just vanquish those thoughts. God, may we boldly come before your throne knowing that not only... Are we invited to this throne room of grace? But God, we, we are standing in it. God, thank you for, for Jesus and for what he has done, that he has come from you. That he lived a life of perfect righteousness to die on the cross for our sins as a substitute. And God, we pray that in this world, when we do experience tribulation and hardship and persecution, that we remember what Jesus has said that we can have peace, that we can have hope because Jesus has overcome. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. We praise in Jesus' name, amen.